invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I love how Ephesians spent really the first three chapters telling us what God has done. For by grace we're saved through faith, not anything about ourselves, not our work. It's what Jesus did on the cross. It's what God has poured out. It's undeserved, unmerited. It's his favor. Then in chapter 4, he begins just giving real practical instruction. This, today, we're looking at just the idea of imitate God. The bottom line is, God wants you to look like Jesus. So he's doing things in your life to take away things that don't look like Jesus and put things there that do look like Jesus. Anybody, anybody like working jigsaw puzzles? That's kind of a tradition at our home on Christmas you know, 10,000 piece or whatever jigsaw puzzle goes up. And I don't work a whole lot on it because the, the rest of my family loves doing it, and I'm not good at it. Gives me I can do the border. I'm good if there's like straight pieces. I know I know this goes on the outside. It's the inside parts that, that bothers me. But what do you do? You put the box up, and you're going, we're trying to make this look like that. If you've ever tried to put a puzzle together without the picture, it's a lot more difficult, isn't it? But that's what Paul is teaching us in Ephesians 4. In this passage this morning specifically, he's holding up what God looks like and what the devil looks like, and he's saying, I want you to look like this. And instead of a box top, here's what we have. We have the Word of God. So the longer I walk with Christ, the more my life ought to look like this. The longer you walk with Christ, the less your life ought to look like it used to, and the more it ought to be conformed into the image of His Son. So let's look at Ephesians 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 25, and we're going to continue through verse 1 of chapter 5, because that's going to be kind of a pivotal verse this morning and then next week. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry. And yet, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's what Paul is wanting them to do. He's wanting them to imitate God. He's wanting them to see the picture on the box top and make the puzzle of your life look like that. Look more and more like Jesus. And so we come to verse 25 and he says, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And it's in these passages a lot. Paul makes a case and he said, based on what I've just taught you, here's what you ought to do. Therefore. What's he just taught them? He's taught them about the fact they've put away, and not just they put it away, but through Christ, Jesus 
has put away the old nature. You've taken off the filthy rags of the old nature. They've been cast away. You've put on the new life, the new nature. You've put on Christ. God has been about restoring the divine image on his people. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them in his image. Literally means character or nature. And through Christ, that is what he's restoring to us. So we've put away the old nature. And the problem is when we pick it up and try to play with it again. Now, it's not on us anymore because it's been removed. So Paul's giving them real practical advice. Now, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. Now, this letter to the church would have been circulated in that area, so other churches read it, but he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to Christians when he, first of all, says, stop lying to each other. Put away falsehood from your life. That shouldn't be a part of your life anymore. Speak the truth. So put away falsehood, put away lying and every kind of deception. And instead, speak the truth. Why do people tell lies? Well, they tell lies to deceive. They tell lies to deflect perhaps from themselves. No, that didn't happen when you know good and well it happened. But Paul says, put away anything that's false, even if it makes you ultimately look bad. Tell the truth. So put away lies. And the good thing is, everything Paul says that's bad, he kind of gives the good thing that follows it up. So the first thing he says is stop lying to each other. And apparently that was a problem in Asia Minor of the day. That non-Christians just, it was accepted that it was okay to lie to people. And Paul says, now that you're a believer, you put on a new nature, stop telling lies. Speak the truth. Even in our culture, if you follow politics at all, I'm wondering if any of them know how to tell the truth. One famous politician a few years ago said, you haven't heard my version of the truth. Really? The truth is the truth. It doesn't have version. You don't shade it. It's the truth. But somehow we've warped our sensitivity, our minds to the fact that tr what's true for me may not be true for you. Is that true? And what's the greatest source of truth? It's right here. This book don't lie. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot lie. And so he doesn't lie. And yet, apparently in the church in Ephesus, people who had come to faith in Christ, one of the areas they were still working on is they were still lying, speaking falsehood. So Paul said, put that aside. Quit lying to your neighbor. And the reason he gives for that is we're members one of another. And he's not talking anymore about membership in the church. He's talking about parts of the body. He's already talked about this. If you're part of the church, you're a member. You're either an eye or an ear or a mouth or an arm or a leg, some body part. You have become part of the body, and you have a necessary function to fulfill within that body of Christ. So, so what if members of your body started lying to you? What if your eyes lied to you? You trip up. What if there's something in the way? What if there's a snake in your path? And your eyes say, no, it's safe, proceed. What's going to happen? You may get bit by a snake. Or what if there's one of those little uh, parking lot deals that you're supposed to pull your car up to and you're not paying attention? Anybody tripped over one of those? Well, it wasn't because your eye lied to you. It was because you didn't pay attention. 
for men, the worst is in the middle of the night, you get up in the middle of the night and don't turn the lights on, go in the refrigerator. You step on Mr. Potato Head or hit your little toe on the rocking chair, and you're doing that little hop at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's because your brain lied to you and told you, you don't need the light, <laughs> when the truth is you do. Or if you tasted something that was rotten or putrid and your tongue sent a signal to the brain saying, oh, this is good. You may end up getting sick or die. Well, we need to have that same attitude towards telling the truth in the church. Whatever body part you are, you're a member of the body of Christ. And the truth is, when you tell the truth, who are you imitating? God. When you lie, who are you imitating? The devil. Listen to the way Jesus put it in John chapter 8, verse 44. He's speaking to church people, by the way. He's speaking to the Jews when he says this. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So we're to imitate God who doesn't and cannot lie and not imitate the devil who's the father of all lies. So stop lying. second one is, be angry and yet do not sin. How is that possible? Most anger in the human realm is sinful because it's about us. It's about our pride being hurt. It's about our selfish interest being hurt. But do you know that Jesus was angry? Jesus got angry over sin. Remember when he cleansed the temple? There was anger involved in that, and it wasn't selfishness. It wasn't pride involved. It was Sin in his father's house. So Paul says it's possible to be angry and yet do not sin. And one of the ways that it's possible to be angry and do not sin is don't let the sun go down on your anger. In fact, don't give the devil an opportunity. Because here's what the devil will do. If the devil can make you angry about something and allow it to fester, you're mad at somebody and it's just going to fester. It's like you're drinking poison hoping they're going to get sick. It don't work that way. In fact, you know what? A lot of times the people you're angry at, they don't even know you're angry at them. But it's hurting you. Be angry and do not sin. It becomes sin when you allow it to fester. It also becomes sin when you turn it against a brother or sister in Christ. It's one thing to have righteous indignation, but that's not an ex expression of wounded pride or provocation. Be angry over the things that anger God. Anything else, don't be angry about. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Literally a spot. That's what the word literally means. It's what we get the word topography from. Don't give the devil a foothold, a spot in your life. And one of the things he'll use to get that spot or foothold in your life is anger. He loves to take anger and use it to make you violent or divisive. So don't lie. Don't be angry in sin, and don't steal. I'll teach you one Greek word today. It's the Greek word klepto. Does that sound familiar? Kleptomaniac. That's somebody that steals. And apparently, again, in Asia Minor, in the region of Ephesus, at the day, stealing was kind of a normal thing. Before they came to Christ, a lot of these people were seasonal workers. And so in the off-season, when they didn't have any work, it was just kind of accepted if you need something, just take it. Steal it. And Paul's saying, quit doing that. Because who are you looking more like when you do that? 
You're looking like the devil who is a thief who comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So quit taking things that don't belong to you. And again, he's not talking to the non-Christians outside the church. He's talking to the believers who've come to faith in Christ, who apparently this was still part of their life. So Paul says, in case somebody hasn't mentioned this to you yet, stealing does not look like God. And that's who you want to imitate. So stop stealing. In fact, he gives a positive. Rather, they must labor. Literally, they must work hard. They must feel fatigue. It's the alternative to stealing. They should perform with their own hands the work. In fact, Paul said to the Thessalonians in Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he said, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. So if you're able to work, you ought to work. Don't steal. In fact, it's not just that you're going to work with your hands to have enough to give yourself something, but you're even going to have enough to give to those who have need, those who aren't able to work. You're going to take care of those in the church maybe that lost their job. And that was happening in the first century because you came to faith in Christ. A lot of times it meant you lost your family, you lost your living, your resources. And so while you're looking for something to make up the difference in your family, the church took care of each other. So work so that you have something to share. Your motive for working is not just to pad your own comfort, but you work to take care of your needs. You work to save. You work to help others. So don't lie. Don't be angry and sin. Don't steal. Those are godly behaviors, godly actions. The second thing is godly speech. Verses 29 and 30, Paul deals with what comes out of our mouth, our speech. Don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The word unwholesome means rotten or worthless. Apparently it was part of their lives before they came to faith in Christ. Don't raise your hand. This is just a question to Penetrate your brain a little bit. But did you struggle with that when you were younger? I did. I did. I grew up in an environment where profanity and coarse jokes and things that didn't represent God real well were just part of my vocabulary. And the day I trusted faith, my faith in Christ, I still had some of that in my, in my head. And Paul is saying, put aside, put away filthy talk. Don't let anything unwholesome proceed from your mouth. And I've had somebody ask me before, okay, so what do you do if you drop a brick on your foot? I'm going to probably say, ow. Because profanity is not a part of my vocabulary anymore. And the tough thing is, if you're using profanity and you drop a brick on your foot, that's probably what's going to come out of your mouth. Because it's what's filled your heart. Also, if you happen to work around that, some of you have no choice. You work in an environment where men and women around you just use profanity. It's hard to go out to eat anymore without sitting next to a table of somebody that's just using language. You're kind of thinking, I got a bar of Coke. I'm thinking about washing your mouth out with that. You kiss your mama with that same mouth? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, You brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So how are you going to change from using profanity and bad jokes that don't represent God well 
it's going to have to be a heart issue that God's got to change your heart. And that's what happens at salvation. But through God's word, you're now renewing. He's renewing your heart. And so don't hang out in places as much as it's your choice. Don't watch stuff on television that's full of language. Don't go to movies that are going to penetrate your heart, your mind with language that you wouldn't want to use on Sunday morning. There's a hot dog place in the upstate. You go in, it says, if your language is good enough for church, it's good enough for here. Y'all ever eaten any Skins, hot dogs. You never eaten a Skins? For crying out loud. You live in Greenville. You got to go to Skins. They have a sign that says, if your language is good enough for church, it's good enough for here. That ought to be our attitude. But we watch movies a lot of times that's penetrating our mind with bad language. I talked to students before about some movie. I said, oh, you, you went to that movie? I thought it was rated R. Yeah, there wasn't any language in it. What was it, a silent movie? What they mean? There wasn't any language. Oh, well, there wasn't bad language. And then I go watch it, and it's like every other word. And I'm thinking, we become desensitized. And we hear the language, but it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It ought not to be that way. Be careful what you allow into your heart, into your mind, into your life. Paul says, put away unwholesome speech. Don't let that cross your lips. But folks, I'm going to tell you, whatever's in your heart is what's going to come out. If your heart's been filled with the Word of God, that's what will come out. If your heart's filled with the stuff of the world, especially in pressure situations, that's, that's what's going to cross your lips. That's what's going to come out of your mouth. So don't let unwholesome words, but only such word that is good for edification. Literally, a word that would build somebody up. A word that would edify, helpful, constructive, encouraging, uplifting, and even sometimes correcting. Those are the kind of words that we ought to be sharing with one another in the church and outside of the church. Edify. Heard somebody one time, they heard a sermon on edification, and one of them looked at a guy that wasn't edifying, he said, edify, you idiot. All right, that's, you just crossed the line. You, you told them to build everybody up, but you just tore them down. I call it the thumper principle. Anybody know who thumper is? Anybody ever watched, seen the movie Bambi? Remember what Bambi's or what uh, Thumper's mother said? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. So sometimes maybe we just not, don't say anything. But what ought to proceed from our mouth isn't bad language. It ought to be the kind of language that builds others up. And the cheapest form of humor is negative humor. And most of us are good at it. If you're standing in a circle of eight people picking on one person, everybody's laughing. Maybe even the person you're picking on is laughing, but I gotta tell you, it hurts. Because I've been, I've been the, I've been the one receiving it, and I've been the one dishing it out before. Be careful, be careful that you're not destroying someone's character or their person. I had a seminary professor said, "There's only two people you ought to make fun of, or say something bad about them. Who is that? It's yourself or Adolf Hitler." His point was, don't say anything bad about people, but instead build them up according to the need of the moment. In fact, he says, give grace to those who hear. You've been given grace. You've been treated not as you deserve, but you've been given what you don't deserve. So for us to treat people with grace means we're treating them like God would. And some people are hard to treat that way. So your prayer may need to be, God, help me to treat them the way you would. In fact, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't cause distress to the Holy Spirit of God. 
If you're a child of God, where's the Holy Spirit taking up residence? In your life. Paul's already talked about that in the first three chapters. God has stepped into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And you're grieving Him when you're using your mouth to tear people down and say things that are inappropriate that sound more like the devil. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's taking up residence in your life. So whatever you allow to happen in your life affects the one who lives there, the Holy Spirit. You ever been in somebody's house that made you uncomfortable? Well, I'll, I'll give you a few practical thoughts. I did a disciple now for a church in uh, Lake Wales, Florida. It's a central Florida. It was blazing hot. I'm from up north, so to speak, North Carolina, South Carolina. I grew up in Georgia. And people in Florida get thin blood. If they live there long enough, their blood thins out or something. They're just always cold. I'm, I'm in this house. It had to be 80 degrees. There's sweat pouring off of me. And the husband and wife are saying, can we turn the air on? I'm like, for crying out loud, I'll be dead before morning if you don't turn the air on. So decisions they make are affecting me. Other people's house you go into, and it just smells bad. And you're kind of like, do y'all not smell this? When you come home and your dog meets you at the door, do you not notice it stinks in here? Thank you for asking me over for dinner, but I don't have an appetite. Stuff you allow in your house affects people that come to visit. Well, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit hasn't just come to visit. He's come to take up residence. And that's good news. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says you're grieving the one by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit in your life is God's promise of what's coming. You've been forgiven, you're a child of God, but there's still future redemption coming. And the down payment, the earnest money, the pledge is the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then last, godly relationships. We've looked at imitate God through your actions, through your speech. And lastly, let's look at relationships. These first three that he's going to mention really had to do internally. He says, first of all, let all bitterness be put away. Bitterness is that sour, resentful spirit that refuses to be reconciled. Some people apparently just like being bitter. Have you ever met somebody like that? There are bitter people in the church. Don't raise your hand. I'm not talking about your church. We're talking about churches far, far away. I hear this happen. But sometimes bitter people come in. And what do bitter people do? They make everybody else bitter. That smoldering resentment, that brooding grudge, they're not dealing with it. They just like being bitter and sour. Wrath. This is that violent outburst, that wild rage, that passion of the moment that just something happens, boom, they explode. Something from inside just causes an explosion. Well, put that away. Put away anger. A little different tense than what he used previously, but it's still the sense of it's possibly angry and not sin, but put away anger that's lasting from day to day that you didn't deal with before the sun went down, and you're just allowing it to build up in your life. Again, don't raise your hand. Have you ever been mad at somebody and you just didn't want to forgive? You wanted to stay angry because, number one, they never came and asked forgiveness. They never apologized. I felt that way about my brother growing up. My brother's almost five years older than me, and he used to abuse me. 
He used to like hitting me, shooting me with a BB gun, burning me with a cigarette lighter. I mean, I could tell you stories. But I, at times I would say, I will never forgive him. He's bigger than me now. He's also uglier than me. But one day I'll get revenge when he's 90 years old and in a wheelchair. And I'm 85 years old on crutches. I'm making a note to hit him in the head with my crutch. <laughs> of course, he's going to say, why'd you do that? I'm going, I don't remember. I just wrote it down. But that's kind of the attitude of some of us. We're just kind of glad. We're happy being angry at people. And he's going to tell us in a minute, rather than that, you need to forgive people. The problem is, when you're a Christian and you're holding those kind of grudges and then you read Scripture and say, if you don't forgive others, God doesn't forgive you. Or in the way that you forgive others, it's how God forgives you. Oh, darn it, I can't be mad anymore. So don't be anger. Don't be angry. Because those three things, bitterness, wrath, and anger, will, will eventually display themselves publicly. First, in clamor. Literally, public quarreling or brawling. It reflects that public outburst that reveals the fact you've lost control. Those need to be put aside. Slander. It's the root word for blasphemy. We're told not to take God's name in vain, don't blaspheme God, but don't do that to others. Don't tell things about people that aren't true. In fact, don't tell things about people that don't build up their character. Don't even do it as a prayer request. You ever been in those circles? Better pray for Sally. Hear what she did. And then you tell all the details that you didn't have permission to share about Sally. Why? Because it makes her look bad and makes you look good. But it's just a prayer request. A lot of gossip takes place and slander takes place in the guise of prayer requests. So these are to be put away along with malice, which just becomes a general term that encompasses all of it. It's just badness, depravity, trouble. It's, it's a general term for evil of all kinds. So put those things away, and then let's look at what Paul says to end with. Be kind to one another. You're not feeling the injunction to be kind to one another if you're doing those other six things. But kind means to furnish what is needed, is to be useful. And let me tell you something, we're not kind by nature. It has got to be a God thing that's happened in your life that would cause you to be kind to people because some people are hard to be kind to. It doesn't say be kind to people that are kind to you. It says be kind. Tenderhearted. What does that mean? It means it ought to break your heart when sin is in, involved in other people's lives. It ought not to be something you jump on to point out the ridicule, it ought to hurt you when other people are hurting themselves with sin. And then last, forgiving one another. It's where we get, this word forgives where we get the root word for grace. Forgive. In other words, don't treat people the way they deserve. Treat them like they don't deserve. Because we don't deserve to be forgiven. But God's forgiven us. And it may be the person you're holding a grudge against doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But God says forgive. In fact, he qualifies it, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So just in case you're holding something thinking, I'll never forgive them. You don't know what they've done. Well, just do a little inventory on what you've done. God's forgiven you far more than you'll ever forgive somebody else. 
thing about God, when God forgives, he chooses to remember it no more. So I struggle with forgiveness a little bit because I can't forget. But love keeps no record of wrongs. So I have to pray and say, God, help me to treat them like this never happened. I had somebody share that with me years ago. You know you've forgiven someone when you can treat them like it's never happened. You may not forget it, but you need to get to the point where every time you see their face, it doesn't come up. So until that day happens, you need to pray. And say, God, I'm, I'm still holding bitterness, and I know that's not good because it's destroying me from the inside out. Would you help me to see them the way you do? God, would you help me remember how much you've forgiven me, and I don't have a right to hold this against you? God, would you help this to be separated like you can as far as the east is from the west? Matthew 18, I'll just summarize a, a parable that Jesus told about forgiveness. He called a slave, the, the king called a slave into his chambers. The slave owe, owed to him years worth of wages. And he said, I'm about to put you in prison. You're going to be tortured until you pay me back everything you owe. And the slave fell on the ground and begged for mercy. And the king was moved with compassion and said, because of, your, because of your plea, I will not only not cast you into prison, but I will forgive you. He said, that slave went out, and somebody owed him just a little bit. And he went up to them and said, pay up. Or I'm going to put you, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to beat you until you pay me back. And the king heard word of it, pulled the slave back into his chamber and said, you're going to jail until you pay every last dime. That's the parable Jesus taught, that those who've been forgiven much, me and you, ought to be all those who can forgive much. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Father, as we look at the puzzle box, we see a picture of what God looks like. And you've called us to imitate God as beloved children. And Father, that is utterly and absolutely impossible apart from the power of Jesus at work. So God, I pray for men and women across this auditorium this morning that that's what we would surrender to. I just invite you, and I'll close this in prayer in a minute, but you, between you and God right now, if that's the desire of your heart, just tell God that. God, I want to look more like you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. But God, would you continue the work that you started so that I'd look more like God and less like the world. One day we're going to see Jesus face to face. We'll be changed in an instant. My prayer would be that we're already becoming so much like Christ, there wouldn't be a need for a big change. Still going to be some things to work on. But you're living a life that honors Christ now before you see him face to face. God, I pray that because that's only possible in you. But I do pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all stand as we sing in closing for you.